Welcome to the Start, Scale, Succeed podcast with me, your host, Nicole Higgins, the Buy and Retail Coach, sharing tips, advice, and insight from entrepreneurs that have just launched to multi-million pound business owners. We will be discussing the challenges they faced, advice they would give, and the milestones they achieved and how they got there. Also joining me will be a broad range of experts with some tips and practical how-tos, episodes that will help your business grow and to enable you to live the life you crave. The types of experts that you'll hear from will be those that you will find beneficial as you start and scale your business, from branding and social media experts to mindset coaches and PR marketing. There will also be solo episodes from me discussing a variety of topics from sourcing to maximizing the profit in your business. Welcome to this week's episode of Start, Scale, Succeed. And today I'm joined by Laura Chambers, and we're going to be talking all about her brand, why she set it up, and all about that background and advice she would give for those people who are starting out in business. So Laura, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Now, before we go into it, if you can just give a little bit of background about, you know, how you started the brand, why you started the brand, because you had a different business quite a couple of years ago, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Um, I studied fashion in MTD. And um, after college, I worked for a while for Quinn and Donnelly back in the day. And um, then I left. Designer. Yeah. 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 Like assistant designer. It was straight out of college. So it was great kind of like starting um starting job for me in design um and then I left them and I moved to Australia and I worked in film mainly wardrobe and oh, um, yeah like costume design. like styling yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah mainly wardrobe I like actually worked in a few really great movies like Star Wars and things like that over there but while I was um before I landed in that area I was working um in a lot of beautiful like niche little boutiques in Paddington in Sydney and um, there was a great kind of energy around Sydney at that time. There was loads of really emerging brands, great emerging brands like Sassenbide, Rachel Gilbert. They, they just had were really on it at that, at that time. Like they were yeah. talking 2000, so it's a good while ago. Um, but there was it, no- it, it, you know, when you go, oh, it wasn't that long ago. And you go 2000, you're like, oh, my God. It's like 23 over- years ago. Like it's a long time ago. It's mad. <laughs> but there was nothing like that. There was costume. Costume had just opened. But at that stage, they weren't even like... They hadn't really found their groove that they found later on. It was like a very much um, coat, coating and suiting and stuff like that. So there was no like little um, niche brands. Um, you had your Brown Thomas, which is nothing else. Yeah. So when I came home from Australia, I decided to... Very much the bring... big labels then, wasn't it? Yeah, well. it was all the big, like it was the Dolce & Gabbana's and, you know, the Versace's and mainly female-led brands. Yeah. Um, so when I came back from Sydney, I, I opened up Tull in the Georgia Street Arcade. And we um, stocked a lot of those kind of brands and it was great. It was brilliant. Like we were the first to um, stock um, J brand jeans, I think, in Europe. We had like a lot of um, the diffusion labels for Christian Lacroix. So it was quite, it was high end. Like it was, you know, it wasn't, it was expensive. Like, you know, you wouldn't get anything less like a dress for less than 395 euro or 400 up, like that kind of price range up. But it was great with Matthew Williamson when he was at the height of his career. Yeah. I've had so many beautiful brands. So Let me just ask you a little bit about that then in terms of yeah. what, you know, you came back, you saw a gap in the market mm. and you created what you wanted there. You'd gone from kind of working in costume, work, being employed essentially mm. to then being uh, mm. an entrepreneur and, and self-employed. Mm. How scary, was that just a real natural progression for you? Was it something that you'd thought about, always wanted to yeah. do, or you just like, an opportunity, I'm going to do it no matter what? 
Yeah, I kind of like, oh, well, firstly, I was very young, so I was kind of fearless. I think now I'd be a bit more, oh my God, what am I doing? Well, like I was 25, I, you know, I just didn't really, I was like, kind of, it's now or never. And I was, yeah. my, my family were in business, my mum, my dad, my husband uh, had just started his own business. You know, I was kind of, I always wanted to work for myself anyway. Yeah. You were and around then, it. It wasn't. I was around it. It wasn't scary because I was around yeah. it. And uh, yeah. I think my dad particularly always um encouraged me to work for myself you know he was always like why don't you want to work for anybody you want to work for yourself you know so yeah. I kind of grew up with that kind of mentality that I was going to do my own thing uh, that's great so, do yeah. you yeah you do you have children now yourself I do yeah I have two kids uh Evan is 12 and Emma's 15 mm. and do you follow the same kind of ethos and advice for them I'm very much not really persuading them to go in well particularly my daughter I'm like you don't want to do fashion you don't too hard it's too hard you'll never have a home you'll never have you know yeah it's it's a really hard career like my sister is in fashion in in New York and um, but she's had to go abroad to really find the kind of job she wants to work in yeah. you know and uh, my other sister is a ceramic artist all three of us went to NCAD it's a hard I mean it's something you have to be really passionate about it yeah. you have to also be really talented to really make it like you have to be really talented and a, and a real graph a real worker and especially you know? those starting salaries in in fashion it's kind of same with buying a retail they're they're low like they are okay. like you say you have to have a passion for it that you'd practically do it for free yeah I mean I did loads of stuff for free yeah. loads of stuff over the years for free I worked on film sets for free I worked on you know I worked, did internships for free. I went to New York over the summers when I was in college and worked in a bar at night and then during the day worked for nothing but like you didn't mind because it's just all you wanted you you know that's all you wanted to do yeah and unless you have that kind of passion you're wasting your time because you won't you won't make it you know yeah and, and you, you won't get to those kind of higher salaries no. until much further on you yeah. know much much further on in your career whereas you know for some people your your mid-salary is some is someone's starting salary depending on yeah on, you know totally yeah yeah absolutely like um definitely I mean like I, I my husband has a, a brand strategy company and we employ lots of graduates and when I compare graduates in that area to fashion graduates it's a completely different ball game like you know, know. in terms of salary starting salaries and stuff but, but I have digressed. So yes, George, we're yes. back to Georgia Street Arcade. Yeah. So I was in the arcade there for um, um, eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great little business. Loved it. Um, we had lots of ups and downs. You know, you'd buy it. You could buy a brand and think, oh, this is going to fly. And, you know, by the time you got it in, it didn't fly. Yeah. Um, we were we, we did a lot of dresses, like so a lot of weddings. Like a, I guess we were kind of... Um, mainly for kind of like late 20s early 30s that kind of age bracket at the time and um so it was like a lot of girls who were going to their friends weddings and that kind of thing so they come in they buy a nice dress so we're depending a lot on that kind of market and then the recession hit and then people just stopped like literally overnight it was funny because I was in New York when uh, the Lehman Brothers situation happened and I saw them all coming out with their their boxes and I remember what's going on there and then we went home and turned on the news and we're like oh my god and when I got home to Ireland a couple of days later it was like the tap had been turned off because a lot of the girls who were buying from us were in that area in finance yeah and they'd lost their jobs so they weren't going to the flash weddings anymore so sales literally went yeah and and I had my daughter at the time and she she uh had a she's a long-term illness and um it was really tricky balancing the shop and her and, you know, I, I felt like a lot of the time I was babysitting clothes and I was like, I, it's not worth this. Rent is really high. Dublin rent was, was still high, but it was really, it was that really, time, really yeah. high. Though. 
crazy rent. Because we talk about 2008. I remember, and I know you weren't on Grafton Street, but I, I remember from a time of someone saying that Dublin and Grafton Street was more expensive than, than like Fifth Avenue or in terms of square footage or something like that. Like yeah. it was just bonkers. It was crazy. There were so many overheads. Um, accuse your staff, your, your lighting, your insurance. And while Georgia Street Arcade, Georgia Street Arcade, because I grew up, you know, walking through it, it's very kind of, it's, you know, it's a lovely place. It's beautiful building. It's quite quirky. The footfall was the wrong footfall for us. Yeah. You know, um, while we had a beautiful shop, it was the wrong footfall. It was very hard to get certain women to come into the arcade. So, and then once the recession hit, we, we had no hope of getting them in. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, and that's funny because I, I did a pop-up recently um, on, um, yes, yes, Clarence, yes, Clarence, Street. Street. Yeah. footfall on that street is completely different. And it was yeah. like, I said, oh my God, if I had Tull here, we would have really flown. We would, you know, but so that's a, you know, it's so important that you're in the right spot with the right football. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we closed that and uh, actually, it was, I just felt it was time and it was fine. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't, there would have been so many, I mean, I had a friend of mine in Galway and she, um, similar time as well, she had a boutique and hadn't really, it was, it was 2000 and, you know, around 2008, similar kind mm. of time and hadn't really gone onto the online side. So it was very much a bricks and mortar yeah. Uh, shop. You know, she I think she was just starting. She bought the lighting kind of stuff to mm. put a couple of things online, but was playing at that really. It was very much bricks and mortar. And she was kind of yeah. you know, like yourself. Millie was a label she stocked, uh, dresses okay. 300 euro plus coat, you know, yeah. nice coats and very yeah. much that wedding thing. And like herself, like that, like you, like that, you know, like yourself, it just stopped. You just know, stopped mm. no overnight yeah overnight it just it was really um it was it was mad to witness it was sad it was obviously a bit worrying but it was also like god I can't believe it. you know you hear these things but you don't actually think that they literally stopped like this but they did yeah and um, people just weren't about spending anymore well, they couldn't they couldn't and yeah. um, so that was it um but it, it was a great experience I loved it but it was the right time as I said to close yeah and so, so that's 2008 and mm-hmm. you, you, you wrapped that up and you finished that mm-hmm. up. Then what happened next? What was your journey then? Then I kind of, um, I was at home with the kids a bit. I had my son in 2010 and uh, I feel like, you know, I think once you're creative, you're always kind of looking for you know, something creative to do. So while I was doing, I, I work, would work for my husband's company doing um, the accounts and uh, managing like staff and stuff I, I just wasn't really that happy like I was definitely kind of restless and um I had an old um brother knitting machine up in my attic and I decided to just take it down and I was knitting bits of like scarves and stuff for people because I, I I'd done knitting in college and I wasn't particularly good at knitting in college by the way I didn't have the patience for it but for some reason once I had kids it was like an escape I could go up yeah, to the yeah. room and Sorry, I'm knitting. I yeah, can't you can again. hear the machine. Yeah, don't yeah, come in. Yeah, don't be sitting come in. there reading a cup of tea just with one arm going back <laughs> exactly. and forth, not knitting yeah. anything. Exactly. It was like, you know, oh my God, I love this. I'm trying to figure out this passion where in college I would have been, I'm not figuring this out. But uh, so my, my mindset had changed and uh, I really enjoyed knitting things for people. And it was, it's, it, the business started really organically. It was like, it wasn't even, it was, a, I was really quite cautious, I guess, and a bit private about it. I was like, you know, I'll knit this, but I don't want anybody to really know about it. And then I was gifting them to people and they were like, God, I love this. Can you knit this from my friend? She's 30 next week or she's 40 next week. And, oh, can you do it in this color uh, for my mom or whatever? So it kind of grew that way. And I was like, God, people actually like what I'm doing. This is, this is nice. So um, then I started to, um, make more things but I needed the knitters so I reached out to the knitters in Dublin 
and they started producing very small amounts for me. And um, then there was a real demand. And I noticed and then journalists were kind of approaching me and saying, oh, I saw your scarf on somebody I met the other day. Do you have any photos of your, you know, do you have any photos? Have you done any photo shoots? So I was like, I better do a photo shoot. This is kind of interesting. So it grew that way. And it was a lovely way to grow because I was, I was loving it, but I didn't have huge pressure on myself. Like I hadn't invested any money. Yeah. Um, I hadn't taken any loans. Like with the shop, I would have had a loan. Would have yeah, been you would have staff. Staff and lighting and like you know heating all that stuff like um, Batman you know yeah. all that pressure there was none of that pressure there so um it was lovely and it, it grew that way and to be honest it's kind of grown that way since like every year I get a little bit bigger I produce a bit more and uh, I obviously do my photo shoots now twice a year but it's grown from that spot so I'd really say if you ask me when I really kind of started to grow it as a you know business yeah. was when did, in, you put your, did you ever did you ever put a business head on with it like or have did you know did you go right I don't overthink the business side of it, but I am savvy enough because I've been around business long enough that I know uh, you don't do this and you don't do that. And what are you doing buying that? That'll never sell. I know, I kind of know what sells and what doesn't sell. And I know what to invest in, what not to invest in, where to put my money. Kind of, I just kind of know it, I guess, at this stage. And that really, but when I really kind of went, okay, this is not a hobby anymore. I want this to be my career was 2016. Great. And yeah. what made you decide, because is it purely cashmere that you do? Yeah. Right. And what, what yeah. made you decide, um, you know, what made you decide on cashmere? Well, I guess because I had a shop, we stocked a lot of cashmere and I got kind of spoiled. I like I loved wearing cashmere and I was like, I can't wear anything else now. And it is like that. Like, I can't actually wear anything else but cashmere. And uh, I, about I in hives, if you see an acrylic jumper, yeah, never mind. Yeah, I can't, yeah. no, I, I am partial to a sweatshirt, but when it comes to wool and stuff like that, I'm like, no, I can't wear wool, can only wear cashmere. So I guess that was, the, I just always wanted to work with it. I just kind of, it was just, I wouldn't work with anything else really, because that's what I wear, yeah. that's what I want to wear, and that's what I wanted to give my customer. So, um, quality is massively important. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, and the Scottish and the, the Italian cashmere we use, like, we use the, the, the best mills, um, around, and the cashmere is just such a beautiful, soft, um, cashmere, and it's so light in the body and it's so warm. Like, all those things that they say, all those cliches, it is like it's beautiful, ca- um, quality. And, and I wouldn't compromise on that at all. There's no point, you know, for people that can't see, you're wearing a beautifully, I presume it's one of your own, uh, it is, colors. yeah, 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 colors. yeah. Stripey, stripey cashmere um Gansey jumper where do you get your inspiration from from a design from a color point of view it's kind of anywhere and it come it could hit me really randomly like it could be anywhere and I could be doing anything this year this season spring summer um 23 is actually quite nautical that came from a trip down in to Kerry last summer it's just kind of walking along the the by the seafront and uh there was lots of boats pulled up and there was loads of ropes and mm-hmm. um, boys and stuff. And I took a lot of pictures at the time. I didn't even think of it. But when I was going through my pictures, I saw a lovely um, color scheme and it just kind of went, you know what, that would be lovely for spring, summer. So a lot of, like, it could be something like that. Um, there was also, there was a day during lockdown, there was one that was kind of David Bowie inspired. It can be mm-hmm. kind of anything. Um, glam rock, you know, it can be anything that kind of just hits me. Our colorway can be just something I might see in nature and I go you know I really love those color that color combination color is really important like it's actually really important to my customer and I try and pick um the most flattering kind of vibrant colors that I can because that's what sells for me 
people really come to me for color. Uh, like and the shapes would be quite standard, but the color would be what kind of sells Your it. signature, yeah. And yeah. I said, you know, when some people think of cashmere, they'll think, oh, I'll invest and I'll just buy a plain camel piece or I'll mm. buy or whatever. But mm. yours are very much vibrant, fun, you know, bright pink, yeah. bright, you know, yeah, stripey yeah. on there as well. So they they stand out. And I suppose mm. that's very much a key identifier of your brand as well, so that you mm. don't merge back into everything else. Yeah, exactly. There's no point in me. Now, I have done a little bit of navy for this season, a little bit of camel. But I'll always have mainly your pinks, your reds, your greens. Green's a great seller for us. Actually, green in general sells really well for the Irish market in, in anything, yeah. really. Um, and uh, because that's what sells for me. People, love, they can buy their, their navy and their camel in Marks and Spencer's or, yeah. you know, from other brands. Um, and they tend to, the stripes go really well for me because the color combinations are quite nice. A different customer now will buy this stripe that will buy the classic jar oh. in the pink, like a completely different customer. But it always comes down to colour. I also think why people like buying from me is if you came to me and you said, listen, I love that jumper, but because we built, we, we knit locally, I can adjust things. So if you came to me, I love the jumper, but you know, what? I've got a, a, a extra long kind of torso or my arms are like, you know, are, are kind of shorter than the average arm. Or So like if you're five foot, you know, and, and you're going like, I don't think you're extra small, is going to fit me. Can you do extra, extra small? I could say, yeah, absolutely. We can adjust the pattern to, if you send me the length of your torso, the length of your arm, we can adjust the pattern then to fit you. So we kind of make to order a lot of the time as well. And that's kind of the key and to our you, success. Would you say, like, would you say 70% of the range is made to order then? Or um, I'd say it's 50-50. I'd say oh, right. most, a lot of people buy, like a, our scarves fly, so they don't have to be made to order. Yeah. But if you came to me and said, listen, I see you've got a raspberry and a green and a blue this season, but by any chance would you have an orange? I could say, yeah, I have an orange. I'll get that made up for you and it'll take me five days or whatever. Amazing. So, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people say to me, I'm going to a wedding or you know, I'm going abroad and I'd love this colour. Would you have it in stock? I might not have it made, but I'll have the cone in stock. We carry a lot of colour in cashmere, mm-hmm. so I can get it made up for them, no problem. So, and it's at no extra cost. So, so like you said, you're still keeping, you're able to keep your overheads low. You've not got a lot mm-hmm. of, you've got, you've invested in the cones of the cashmere, mm-hmm. but you haven't got a lot of stock that's made up there, gathering no. dust that you have to. Um, so do you, do you ever discount then or is that not part of your model? We do occasionally, like we might give 10% off, 20% yeah. off, but in general, no, we don't need to. Yeah, you know, I, I will, I don't, I don't carry, I don't carry a lot of stock. I'm never really left with much stock at all. I have yeah. a few bits and pieces, but nothing much. So there's no real need to, to have a sale. Um, And I'm really strict enough because with the shop, you could be left with the rails of clothes and it's so disheartening, you know, 70% off. You're kind of giving it away. You're like, oh my God. You're any- it's literally just money hanging on clothes, isn't it? That's I know. When you, it's when hard. You're... It's yeah, it's heartbreaking. You're saying, God, she bought that for less than I bought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what do you think was the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Uh, I did the um, with Sive O'Brien. I don't know if you know Sive. Sive is um, is a brand strategy expert. And I did her three-step brand magic course. And one thing she said to me when I was kind of floating around, kind of just knitting and making things and selling them, she set me down. um, And this was two years ago. And she said, you know, who is your customer? You need to find out who your customer is, what she likes and what she wants. So we spent months kind of really focusing, honing in on who she was, what is our archetype. Um, And I think that really helped me take the business to the next level because I knew exactly like even though I I knew it, it it was really important to kind of put it down on paper. You know, who is this woman 
are there two types of women or the three in the end it turned out like there were three different kinds of women who yeah. buy the product and what they're looking for and uh, what they want and um i think that was really important just to focus me because i can be a little bit flighty i guess that so was really good to go no pull it back in and focus um, and I really saw then the sales increase as a result because I was making things specifically with these three different women in yeah. mind. And do you think that's true to, for a lot of designers that they can be, let's make pretty things? You know, say if I have some designer friends, well, they, they're very much into the creative process, but then it's like, oh, actually this has to sell as well. For me to keep on going, this needs to sell. And yeah. for, for people that are designers that are listening, what would be your advice to them? Well, I think, yeah, like, I mean, we all love to make pretty things and, you know, we love to kind of indulge our creative side. But at the end of the day, your business isn't viable if you're not selling. Yeah. So I just always kind of make things or like design something and I'd look at it and go, who's it going to sell to, you know, you know, who who's going to buy that? Because there's no point in me making it up if no one's going to buy it. If it's just me wearing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's really important if if you want to make a career out of it, if you want to make a living out of it. Yeah. If you want to take to, it from a, a hobby, hobby to a, to a proper career, business. like yeah. a business. It's not a business if you're not selling, if you're not making money. Mm-hmm. And yeah. on on the flip side of that, what do you think was the re- the worst advice you've received? Whether you followed it or not, what was the worst advice? I probably did take it actually. Um, when we started off initially, it was a uh, you know you need to maybe approach influencers or approach celebrities and ask them if they'd like any of your pieces, you know, to build your profile on Instagram. And we did approach quite a few people. And uh, interesting because you might approach certain people and they'd say, oh, I'd love, I'd love this. And, you know, could you make it in this color or could you make it a bit longer for me because I'm pregnant or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And you would do that. It costs a lot of money to produce these pieces. Um, and you'd send them off and you'd hear absolutely nothing. Uh, and I would say nine times out of 10, you'd hear nothing back. So a lot of money went into gifting mm. and with no return. Um, and not only is that disheartening, it's also, but it's also just a waste of money. And at the end of the day, with influencers that we maybe we approached, they weren't really our right profile um, and you might build numbers on Instagram but they're not your customer we found then that people who with less profile with a smaller profile but ge- who had genuine customers and genuine followers they were the ones when they wore something that actually followed through to you um, having sales and also their followers following you and becoming customers of yours and that built a much nicer more genuine relationship with the customer mm-hmm. more than like Oh, you know, she's got half a million followers. They're not that half a million. They're not. They're not your kind of customer. You know, very few of them will be your your customer. So we we waste a lot of money doing that. And out of curiosity, had you done your customer work before you done? Yeah. No. Had you done? Yeah. No. No. Yeah. And if we had, we the you know, side would probably sat down and go, "Well, you're wasting your time there. You're wasting your time there. You waste you know." So, you know, just don't waste your time. Yeah. And I think, like you say, I think gifting is good and influences are good to use, but it's using that it's absolutely the right ones, not spraying and praying, you know, and having a much more having a targeted side of things. And you have to because your pieces, like you say, they're, you know, what do they what's your kind of this jumper is 465 euro, you know, that's a lot of money. Uh, And uh, because I'm not in stores and I sell online. It actually in the store would probably be a lot more because I've, you know, I've slightly, re- yeah, my overheads are slightly reduced because I'm selling it. You know, I don't have, I don't, I'm not selling to a retail store. So there's a, they cost a lot to make. Uh, so yeah, 
I mean, there were some great ones like Vogue Williams was really supportive initially. She was brilliant. Um, and she'd always acknowledge your gift and say, received your gift. Thank you so much. And, you know, then wear it and tag it. That was all great. But there were just other people, a lot of other people you're thinking, God, and they, how much did they receive it? I'll just follow up. To the, and yeah, yeah, I received it, but nothing. And that's just, you know, you're wasting time and money. So, yeah. And um, what what do you feel are the challenges that you face with the brand now? Or do you? Do you Because in terms of, mm. you seem quite controlled of it. It's not a runaway train, you know, in terms of. No, it's not. Mm. I, yeah, quite tight reins on it. But, you know, cashmere has gone up a lot because the cost of living and the energy crisis, the costs have gone up massively. So like for a cone of cashmere now, it's a lot more than when I started off initially. Mm-hmm. So that's quite tricky to, to work out because obviously then manufacturing, because with cashmere, you might knit the item on the loom, on the machine and then you throw it into the washing machine and you wash it at a really high temperature. And then you take it out of that and you put it into a tumble dryer and you tumble dry it at a really high temperature. Mm-hmm. So that all costs money for the knitters, especially with the energy crisis. Yeah. You know, they have their, their machines going 24-7. So every garment, not only has the cashmere increased in price, their production has increased in price. So now I've got to kind of think, I've always kind of wanted to keep it at that price. It's always going to be expensive, but not that crazy expensive price. But now it's like, oh God, like everything's gone up so much. I'm going to have to try and pass it on in some way to the customer without it being extortionate. And what percentage cashmere is in your jumpers? 100%. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's very little... There's uh, yeah, you know, in terms of leeway of where you yeah. go. And if you had a magic wand, what would you change in the business right now? Other than probably prices of cashmere. Mm, mm, <laughs> probably production in terms of, uh, obviously, I, as I said, I use these um, group of local knitters to knit all, this, all the pieces and they are wonderful and so talented and, and so professional. They turn everything around so quickly for me, which is great, but they're limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be wonderful if there was other producers of um, cashmere knitwear in Ireland and there isn't, or if they are, I don't know them and I've been looking for them. Um, so it looks like I'm going to have to go abroad because I want to grow the business and I am going to have to take, I am thinking of going into um, bricks and mortar retail spaces now um, in order to grow. So I need much more product. And I, I, I probably will have to go abroad eventually to produce a certain percentage of the company, of the product. You mentioned the air about bricks and mortar, the pop-up. Mm. How was that? So you did, was that the first pop-up you would have done? Yeah, like I've done pop-ups like myself and Julie actually from Pilo. We would do pop-ups maybe in the Dean for a day, yeah. you know, Christmas or something, or we might have a customer evening um, in the summer. But that was the kind of longest one, which that was six weeks. Um, and it was great. It was brilliant. It was a real, uh, it made me realize that I actually love uh, retail. I love dealing with customers. Um, mm. um, and it was lovely to have people come in and try the pieces on in reality. And at the end of the day, I actually don't buy much online myself. Um, I love to go in and try things on and touch them. And, you know, I think it was really important for a lot of customers who might see my stuff online to come in and say, oh, the colors actually are as vibrant in reality. Oh, the quality is as nice as I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Uh, and try it on and go, oh, I'm a small medium. I'm not the medium large or vice versa. So um, it gave them an opportunity to do that. And it just made me realize that I sold a lot more than I'd anticipated because people were given the opportunity to try things on in reality. Mm-hmm. And so you talked there about going into bricks and mortar. Is that from a wholesale point of view, you want to be stocked yeah. in other retailers? Yeah. Yeah. In Ireland think, or globally or oh, I'd love I'd love globally. I'd love globally. So I think that's kind of in our head um at the moment. Um I have a great um of two girls who do a little bit of marketing for me and, and work with me, Mary and, and Heidi, and we're all always sitting down, you know. 
what's the plan of action and I think this year to grow and you know going to a few store here is maybe maybe here and then a, abroad as well um in the long term you just have to eventually and I, I think and I knew that but mm. I just as I said I wanted to start off small and have kind of control over it but now it's time to kind of right go okay you know what if you want to really make this work and grow and um, it's time to kind of spread your wings a bit and I so said you're still making to an order so you know you produce a range so and then you've still got mm. those retailers making you know you've still got those retailers ordering items and numbers specifically so mm. you're not taking the risk that you would take if you were opening up your own shop or you know from a yeah. stockholding point of view so it's still yeah. you've sold the product you've sold you know you've sold the product and, yeah. it's, and off it goes but yeah. um what do you think has helped you keep moving forward well I love what I do yeah uh, and anytime anybody ever will question it or go God, like it's a lot of hassle, you know, God, with the kids and with this and with that. And you do your, you know, I still work occasionally, uh, part-time for my husband. You're doing, you're doing an awful lot. The idea that I wouldn't do this, I'm like, no, I couldn't. I just couldn't not do it. I love it. I love what I do. And um, I'd just be really, it would, it would devastate me if I wasn't doing, wasn't doing this. Um, it's real. I guess it's really part of what I'm about and what I, you know, who I am at this stage, you know, Um I'd miss it too much. Yeah, I'd miss it. I'd miss it terrible. So I don't know how I'd fill that void. So that's what keeps me going. I'm like, you know, and, I, you know, there's definitely days where I think we all kind of go, God, this is hard. You know, this is, you know, but that's, but there's more often there's really positive days than, than negative days. And where can people buy the pieces and find you? So online. So it's Laura underscore chambers.com. That's where it is at the moment. And then actually uh, one of our, uh, going back to influencers, or she wouldn't like to be called an influencer. She's uh, one of the stylists, we personal stylists that I, I work with, um, Aoife, the style Bob. She is wonderful and such a massive supporter of us. And she sends so many of her her own clients to us. She has got me on board with a lot of her pop-ups that she's doing. So she's doing a lot of, she's going around the country with um, Sharon and Malone. And they're doing like seminars about styling and about color, the power of color in your life. And also how to look after your skin and presentation. So I'm going along to those with her and using my product to show women how to introduce colour into their wardrobe. So we're doing that quite a bit at the moment. Actually, Julie as well from Pilo. And the next one is in Limerick, Sunday week. So we've got those kind of those kind of events at the moment um, going on. Um, so people can come and have a look at the product there in reality for now. And then hopefully, as I said, in, the, in time, it will be in stores. Fantastic. So we'll link all those in the show notes and we'll link the um, Laura's uh, website and Instagram page and Aoife's page as well to be able to find out more about those events but thank you so yeah. much for joining me and it was a pleasure to chat to you yeah thank you so much thanks a million for having me as said and if you've enjoyed this episode which i hope you have it would be great if you could leave a review so more people can learn about starting scaling their product business and get inspired and empowered by the guests so thank you very much and i will see you again next week with another great guest bye